from Wyoming Public Media. This, this, this is this is spoken 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 words spoken words. This is spoken words. I'm Micah Schweitzer. I've picked some wrong moments and scenes, and I have made a lot of missteps. And it's been kind of humbling to think, oh, I'm a good writer, and then to be like, oh my god, I'm the worst writer ever. In this episode, we're hearing from Wyoming author Nina McConaughey. In 2014, she was awarded the International Pen Open Book Award and the High Plains Book Award for her collection of short stories, Cowboys and East Indians. Today, we're hearing about her new in-progress and untitled novel, exploring how she uses storytelling and characters to talk about identity and diversity in Wyoming. I think the two major influences are my family and Wyoming. The first one being I'm biracial, so my mom's from India, my dad's from Ireland. And so, you know, growing up in Wyoming, I didn't look like anyone else. And I think that certainly influenced the way I thought about myself in relation to others. And I definitely, I think about identity all the time. And in terms of Wyoming, I think that's the other huge influence because it's where I grew up. It's where I still live and work. And I I love it here, you know, the land and the mountains and the prairie. But there are other aspects of living here in terms of diversity. And I don't see a reflection of myself anytime I ever go outside um, very often. So that that influences my writing. I mean, I think there's a way that when you don't look like everybody, it just puts you as an outsider, even though I feel like an insider because I grew up here. But, you know, it definitely has, has been the major influence on my work. I mean, Wyoming is still 90% white. <laughs> it is It is changed and it hasn't changed. I think I certainly live in Laramie. So that's um, in terms of diversity at the University of Wyoming there, it's diverse comparatively. There are a lot of international students. There are students of color. But, you know, it's still not that diverse of a campus. And I love Wyoming. And I think that I don't really experience incidents of racism. And I feel like I think Wyoming is a fairly tolerant place. I, I'm not saying it's never happened, but it's certainly, you know, I think Wyoming has a ways to go before it becomes a little a little more diverse. Certainly from my time in growing up in the 80s, I think there are a lot more Indian families here. There are a lot more, I do see people of color. I just went to speak in Cheyenne at a high school a few months ago, and I was pretty shocked at how diverse the classroom was in Cheyenne. Although the state is still changing and diversifying, McConaughey talks about the wonder of Wyoming and how she uses her characters to try to capture what makes Wyoming unique. Whether you're from a place like India or even if you're from New York City, I think when you come to Wyoming, it is, it's pretty, a pretty singular experience. I don't think it's like anything most people are used to in terms of just so few people, the weather, the extremes. I mean, the wind alone makes people just shudder. And so, and those are things I just take for granted. The wind is, you know, nothing to me. But I feel like that experience, that awe of the place is something that, again, I just have experienced again and again with people who have come through our, my life, people who visited our, our home. And again, not just Indian people. I think people from all over. My sister lives in London and she got married in Casper a few years ago. And, you know, most of our, her English friends were like, what? So I think it is an experience that is really it's unique. And I wanted to capture that sort of awe with character. I mean, character is the best way to do that. I take for granted and I'm I'm not even phased by the, the weather or the ice or the snow anymore at all. So I think it's kind of nice to create people that still have that sense of wonder. 
so often you have to explain where Wyoming is. I'm always, I mean, if I can say to people, oh, no, Yellowstone or Tetons, they sometimes know. But a lot of times I'm like, near Colorado, you know, I have nothing. Um, but it is. I mean, people who've grown up in the U.S. have no context of Wyoming or they've maybe seen some movies and TV, but they don't really know. And so it is such a, it is so unique to live here and to be here and to work here. But I think that's what makes Wyoming a really good place for artists. They experience the, they, I think that sense of landscape and place and scope makes their work, it just makes their work better and makes their work sort of more inspiring. Capturing Wyoming, however, is not the hard part of writing, McConaughey says. It's the process of moving from writing short stories to a novel that's been the real challenge. So for me, working on a novel has been really difficult. I feel like I've been working on this novel forever. My parents do think it has been forever. But I, you know, a novel is just such a different beast. Um, Stories are about, most of my short stories average about 22 to 23 pages. And a novel you know, so if you unwind one thing in a story, it's it's fine because you just have 20 some pages to fix. But with a novel, if you do something wrong or there's a major thing that happens, it's a lot of revision. And I wrote a whole draft of the book in third person and I read it, finished it, did not like it. I felt like it was really flat. Um, so I started over writing the book in first person. And that was really hard to give up hundreds of pages of writing and and just realize it wasn't working. A novel, you know, you you can't write every moment of someone's life, especially over 20 years. You've got to pick the scenes and the moments and the things that are important. And that's been really hard for me. I've picked some wrong moments and scenes, and I have made a lot of missteps. And it's been kind of humbling to think, oh, I'm a good writer. And then to be like, oh, my God, I'm the worst writer ever. This has been, it's just been a total, it's been a real experience. McConaughey teaches writing at the University of Wyoming. She uses her experiences to make her teaching more engaging for herself and for her students. They explore different authors and narratives, breaking down the expectations of Western literature cliches. I think one thing I've been thinking about a lot is I teach a class here at the University of Wyoming on post-frontier fiction and on sort of writing about the West. And we start with pretty traditional stories that people know about the West. We, We read you know, the essays of Solace of Open Spaces. We read um, stuff that people kind of know when they think about, like, Western writing. And I think one of the things I've loved about this class is getting to sort of then blow up that notion. And I do think people like me who are telling stories about maybe people you wouldn't think who live in Wyoming is really gratifying. And there are a lot of writers doing that. There are a lot of writers that are writing um, people like Percival Everett, I love his Wyoming stories. He's African-American. And, you know, th- they just aren't the stories maybe you expect. And I think it- it's been fun compiling a list of people just telling non-traditional stories of the American West. And, uh, again, not always just about race. I think just places people don't think about think about is, like, very glamorous. Like Claire Vay Watkins writes about Nevada in ba- her books Battleborn. And I think that's been really pleasurable for me to be able to sort of subvert the genre because, again, it's I don't think everyone that's a Western writer is writing about cowboys or writing about ranching or writing about even, well, those are, I guess, the, the major stereotypes. But I think it's been kind of fun to just say, you know, no, there are people telling really odd stories about Wyoming and Montana and Colorado and many of the other states that make up the Mountain West. 
The reading McConaughey shares with us now is from her new unpublished novel, and it paints a picture of 1980s Wyoming. My sister Agatha Krishna said it started when they came, and that's where you could put the blame. But then she said we had to go back. So we blamed it on Reagan, as that summer everyone blamed him, as we went into a bust and watched an exodus go out of our town. But I blamed the Cold War and Gorbachev, as he had that thing on his head, and I felt he could not be trusted. We blamed famine in Ethiopia, as my mother posted a photo on the fridge of a child with a belly like a hot air balloon. We blamed AIDS, which we didn't really get, but thought you could get from the water fountain at the public library you stepped on with your foot. We blamed the Olympics as we hated that eagle waving an American flag, but secretly I had a button with Sam the Eagle and his sly smile and torch. But then we blamed it on when my parents first came to Wyoming, and then them in general. We thought they shouldn't have married, they shouldn't have mixed. But Agatha Krishna said we could blame it on my grandparents, for having one that would go to school and one who didn't. But then she said, let's blame it on the British. Everything could go back to the British. They did it first, Agatha Krishna said. They were colonists. They were the reason one went to school when one stayed home. They were the reason that we were quiet around most white people. The reason my mother drank tea when everyone else we knew except Mormons drank coffee. That summer, we had an Indian summer twice. A frost had come and left the garden broken. Tomato stalks broken too. My mother's peppers dangled like limp green earrings from the stem. But then the days warmed again, marked by an infestation of millers. At every stoplight, they threw themselves in swarms at the streetlights marking the intersections. They offered a kind of sati to the light. My father, tired from coming off rigs, would at night fill a large stainless steel bowl with dish soap. Leaving it on his desk, he would shine a desk lamp into the soapy bowl. In the morning, the bubbles long would have become flat, and in that bowl of water, their little bodies floated, their wings soaked and black. I always felt bad for them, drawn to something beautiful, something almost ethereal, to find themselves trapped. I didn't think it was a good way to die, but what is? And the only way you could justify it was when my mother held up saris eaten to lace, sweaters with holes the size of coins. In that second wave of warmth, they came to us, not tired or broken, but poor. We drove to the Denver airport to pick them up. They did not come off the plane looking bewildered by this new land before them. If anything, they came at us like those moths, fast, a little frantic, and seemingly, as the months would show, drawn to the wrong things. My mother, who had not seen a member of her family since marrying my father almost 14 years before, ran to her brother, squeezed my cousins like lemons. Before they had picked up their bags from baggage claim, she had filled my cousin's hands with chocolate, given my aunt a rhinestone necklace, and my uncle a carton of Marlboro Reds. The Ayers dipped into our lives like a tea bag into the whiteness of a porcelain cup. They muddied the water, they made our house feel small as they lived in the bedroom that Agatha Krishna once had. They left rings of talcum powder on the carpet, the bathroom floor was slick with water as they used a cup and bucket, and the house became smelly with food as my Aunt Devi cooked and cooked. If she wasn't cooking, she stood out on the lawn in a sari and cardigan looking at nothing, feeling the air and the altitude with a kind of wonder. She also watched a lot of Dynasty. I knew that when you really came down to it, I blamed my uncle, and we knew that whoever started it, we would finish it. So at night as we lay in bed, Agatha Krishna in a sleeping bag zipped up tight to her head, and me in a blanket half-eaten by moths, we told ourselves it wasn't our fault. We made a mantra singing, the British are to blame, the British are to blame, and uncle will pay. And I think it was the only way we could do it, the only way we could kill a man before two years were out, the only way we could take my uncle's life and not look back and not be filled with any blame. That's Nina McConaughey reading from her forthcoming novel. This episode was produced by Brooklyn Gray. I'm Micah Schweitzer. Spoken Words is a collaboration between the University of Wyoming's MFA in Creative Writing program and Wyoming Public Media.